the words of Jesus, the Gospel of John, the Message Bible, John 12. Jesus speaking right now, I am storm-tossed. Don't you just love that about the Savior? So utterly vulnerable. Saw a TED Talk this summer by Brene Brown. Over 10 million people have watched it. Psychologist, Texas. 18 minutes long. Don't look it up now. 18 minutes long. She's dealing with vulnerability. Something I really struggle with really have a hard time with that. Always want to look put together. Look, just everything is fine and under control when it's not. Look at Jesus. Uh, How did he put it here? Right now, I am storm-tossed. I'm going through a crisis right now, and I need everybody to know. There's a crowd around here. Vulnerability. Two weeks from the day, we begin a little series called The Galilean. We'll get into, we'll get into how to live life with the Galilean on the edge of vulnerability. Right now, I am storm-tossed, and what am I going to say? Father, get me out of this? No, this is why I came in the first place. I'll say, Father, put your glory on display. A voice came out of the sky. I have glorified it, and I'll glorify it again. The listening crowd said, thunder. Others said, an angel spoke to him. Jesus said, the voice didn't come for me, but for you. At this moment, the world is in crisis. What did he say this, yesterday? At this moment, the world is in crisis. Now Satan, the ruler of this world, will be thrown out. And here we go. Here's where we're going. And I, as I am lifted up from the earth, will attract everyone to me and gather them around me. I, when I'm lifted up from the earth, I will attract everyone to me and gather them around me. We've been praying. We've been praying for a long, long time. That's what we're praying for. Let's pray. Oh, God. You have the whole world, the whole world in your hands, nail-scarred hands. You have this campus, these three campuses in your hands, nail-scarred hands. These few moments left in worship, and we've been lifted up to your throne room today. These last lingering moments show us how to move from here to there. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The land is parched. The vegetation is dusty. The people are desperate. There hasn't been rain in months and months and months. Judah is in the desperate clutches of a full-blown drought. One dry and dusty day in Jerusalem First century B.C., crowds 
thirsty. Spot a man they recognize. His name in Hebrew is Hani. They know him as a righteous man. Someone calls out from the crowd, pray for rain. Soon other voices, weary from their own prayers, cry out the same. And the righteous man named Hani stops. Josephus, the Jewish historian of antiquity, attests to this. The Mishnah, that collection of revered traditions, attests to it. Hani stops. He looks up into the heavens and he calls out to God, O God, send rain. And the Mishnah reads, He prayed, but the rain did not fall. And so Hani did what would be told and retold and retold for generation after generation after generation. Taking the wooden tip of his staff, jamming it into the ground, he proceeded to draw a large circle around himself. And then turning his eyes back up into the brassy heavens, he cried out, O Lord of the world, your children have turned their faces to me. I swear by your great name that I will not stir from here until you have pity on your children. I will not leave this circle until you send rain. And the missioner reads, Rain began falling drop by drop until the Israelites had to go up from Jerusalem to the Temple Mount because of the rain. And thus was born the legendary story of Hani, the circle maker. The title of our homily today, The Circle Maker. Surely we would all agree that there are times in life when your very soul is compelled to, to draw a circle and then step into it. Oh God, I am not leaving this circle until you answer my prayers. You know what? I've heard parents, I have heard parents pray with that wild desperation over a wayward child. I have heard husbands, wives, sob that prayer. I am not leaving until you answer this prayer and save our broken marriage. Oh God, I am standing in this circle. So what circle would you draw for your life? Maybe your career, your health, your sanity, your dream that you refuse to relinquish. Oh God, I'm standing in this circle and I will not leave until you answer this prayer. Mark Batterson and his Inspiring book. I'm reading it now for the second time th through this summer. Title of the book, The Circle Maker. Describes this kind of praying. I'll put the words on the screen for you. Desperate times call for desperate measures. And there is no more desperate act than praying hard. 
There comes a moment when you need to throw caution to the wind and draw a circle in the sand. There comes a moment when you need to defy protocol, drop to your knees, and pray for the impossible. There comes a moment when you need to muster every ounce of faith you have and call down rain from heaven, end quote. I know what you're thinking. <laughs> you know what, Dwight? I mean, this is, this is presumptuous. I mean, this is naive. It's misguided. It's mistaken. Apparently, Holy Scripture does not think so. For wasn't it guilt-ridden? Come on. Wasn't it guilt-ridden Jacob who was hanging on to the, to the arms and the sweaty torso of this midnight assailant? And he cries out, say the words with me, I will not let you go unless you bless me. What is he saying? I, I will not leave this circle until you answer my prayer. You say, oh, come on, Dwight. Just an Old Testament, Old Testament legend to soothe our midnight anxieties. Really? Apparently, Jesus didn't think so. For he told his own story, certainly, at least to all outward appearances, I think we'd all agree, certainly seems to be driving home the same solitary point, doesn't it? Take a look at the story for yourself. The Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 18. I'll be in the message. You pull out your phone, your, your tablet. You didn't bring a Bible uh, and you don't have the, uh, the equipment. Reach into the pew rack. I want you to track this story. You've perhaps read it once. The Gospel of Luke chapter 18. It's page 706 in the, in the pew Bible. Luke chapter 18. Let's pick it up in uh, verse 1. Jesus told them a story showing that it was necessary for them to pray consistently and never quit. Never quit. Oh God, I am standing in this circle and I will not leave this circle until you answer. Okay, here comes the story. Verse 2. There was once a judge in some city who never gave God a thought and cared nothing for people. A widow in that city kept after him. My rights are being violated. Protect me. He never gave her the time of day. But after this went on and on, he said to himself, look, I care nothing what God thinks, even less what people think. But because this widow won't quit badgering me, I better do something and see that she gets justice. Otherwise, I'm going to end up beaten black and blue by her pounding. Jesus goes on. Then the master said, do you hear what the judge, corrupt as he is, is saying? So what makes you think God won't step in and work justice for his chosen people who continue to cry out for help? Won't he stick up for them? I assure you he will. He will not drag his feet. But how much of that kind of persistent faith will the Son of Man find on the earth when he returns? When he comes, will he find a tenacious, persistent, I'm not going to leave this circle until you answer my prayer kind of faith? So on this dedication Sabbath, on the brink, on the eve of a new year, what should we be pounding the gates of heaven for? What is it that we would with passion cry out, I'm not leaving this circle until you do? This summer, this campus, and this congregation have been 
I say this to the moms and dads and new students who are here. We have been on, well, what we're calling a preseason of prayer. The president, who will be here in just a moment, the president sent out a letter to all the faculty and staff inviting them to claim a two-part promise of God in this preseason of praying. Students at another university, by the way, found out about what this campus was doing, found out about that two-part divine promise, put it on their uh, social media sites, and another campus has joined in this prayer. So that now, I don't know, hundreds maybe, men, women, and children who are praying. I was out running uh, on Sunday. I run to the campus from our house and back, little 10K. And I come up on a faculty couple. I, I bump into them. We always meet, it seems, at, this, at the same place on the sidewalk between Garland and Beechwood. You know that sidewalk that just goes right down between the apartments, Garland and Beechwood. It's uh, uh, Dave and, and, and Kim Sherman. And they're walking their little Yorkie. It's a, it's a killer Yorkie. <laughs> Only kills on command, but... So I, I'm coming up behind them. I say, look out, coming between you. So they, they, they uh, part graciously. And uh, I turn around and say, hey, you praying? And Kim, just like that, just like this, I'm praying every day. I said, wow, I believe there, there are hundreds, hundreds praying. Dave, just like that, shoots back thousands. I turned around to saying goodbye to them and kept running towards campus. And you know what? I took that as a word of faith. I know that the number really is immaterial in the end. But we have been praying, haven't we? And what matters is not how many people are praying. What clearly matters is that there's a God behind this, this, this dramatic two-part promise. So, preseason ends today. What's that dramatic two-part uh, ancient promise? Now you know it well. Monique beautifully woven into her uh, invocation. Prayers up here did the same. Put it on the screen. This is Isaiah 43, 19. These are the words of God. Let's read them out loud together. I will do a new thing. It's clear that he's making it to his people. They're in exile. He's promising to rewrite the story for them, to change the status quo. He's going to bump them. He will move them out of the status quo that has held them captive. So he says, I'm going to do a new thing. You wonder what the new thing is, and then you read the next two verses, and four times he brings up water. Water, 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 water. Four times in two little verses. And sure enough, yeah, but, but what's the new thing? What's the new thing have to do with water? And just a verse or two lower, you come to Isaiah 44, 3. I will do a new thing. By the way, when you drove on to campus, did you see, did you see the, uh, took a picture of this on Thursday. There it is, hanging over the, the circle. God's promise, says in the little letters there, God's promise, Randers University. I will do a new thing. By the way, special thanks to uh, Stephen Payne and uh, Justin Jeffrey and Jamie Wright and Paul Elder for getting that up. Wow. So what's this new thing, God? Okay, Isaiah 44, 3. Let's put it on the screen. Isaiah 44, 3. Speaking of water, God says, I will pour water on those who are thirsty and floods on the dry ground. I will pour my... Oh, that's what you're talking about. I will pour my spirit on your descendants and my blessing on your offspring. That's it. Two-line promise. I'll do a new thing. Put the two lines together. How do they read? I will do a new thing. I will pour water on those who are thirsty and my spirit on your descendants. In fact, earlier in Luke, 
Jesus makes his own stunning promise. Look at this. Jesus, uh, Luke chapter 11, verse 13. If you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Speaking about moms and dads and Christmas and Toys R Us, he says, look, you've actually come through for your kids, don't you? How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit this new thing? I will pour water on those who are thirsty and my spirit on your descendants. How much more, Jesus says. Wow. But are we asking? I mean, come on, Dwight. I mean, are you asking? Really asking? Or is this what you've been living for your whole life until next week when it'll be something else that you've always wanted your whole life? David Redding, in his uh, masterful treatment of Jesus' parables, title of his book, uh, The Parables He Told, cuts to the chase with the widow and the judge. Let me share this with you. This story of the widow and the judge shouts that prayer isn't any good unless it is persistent. God won't give us what we want the first time we ask for it. What Robert Collier called, and by the way, it's the correct spelling, the determination of heaven not to hear what we are not determined that heaven shall hear. Can you figure that one out? You got to read it again. So leave it up, please. The determination of heaven not to hear what we are not determined that heaven shall hear. You obviously don't want me to hear about it because you're mumbling under your breath and you've only asked once and it's gone. Here today and gone tomorrow. That's what he's talking about. The way I pray like a child before God. It's a big deal today. Seven days from now, eight, 14 days, I've forgotten all about it. Uh, Reading goes on. Uh, Put the words on the screen. The idea that God knows and we don't sinks in slowly. Boy, does it ever. God knows. I know nothing. Next line. Quick results fool us into believing we brought them all by ourselves. I rubbed the magic lantern. Whoa, we got it. Let's do that again. That's what he's talking about. Next line, it takes time to tell it is from God and not manufactured. And I think for a campus like this where we're basically born skeptical, that's not a bad line. It takes time. Otherwise, somebody's, somebody just kind of pulled this thing off. No, it takes time to show that it's not been manufactured, that it really has come from God. One more line, I thought this was the best. The longer we pray for Christ's sake, the less we are likely to pray unworthily. The longer we pray, the less it's going to be for me, 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 me. Then we're praying as God needs us to be praying. The longer we pray. All summer long may feel like a long preseason to us, but, to, but for a God for whom a thousand years is one day, it's nothing. It's nothing. Well, well but... That's Jesus' point, of course. What's that first line in uh, Luke 18, verse 1? Read it again. Jesus told them a story showing that it was necessary for them to pray consistently and never, never, never quit. Don't quit. Never quit. I will do a new thing. Christ's object lessons. I like this. There is, there is no danger that the Lord will neglect the prayers of His people. The danger is that His people will become discouraged and fail to persevere in prayer. Never quit. That's what Jesus is telling us. Don't stop whatever you do. You, you're, you're on it. You're on it. Don't quit. Don't quit. I will do a new thing. 
I will pour water on those who are thirsty and my spirit on your descendants. But I know that in the back of perhaps more than a few of our minds, there is this question. Is claiming this promise some sort of tacit admission that we have failed our mission as an institution of higher education? And the answer to that is, no, it is not. It is rather the recognition before God that while we are humbled by and grateful for the manifold blessings of heaven upon our three campuses, we still must confess that we have been unable to break out of the spiritual status quo that we repeat year after year after year, and I'm talking about me. What's the definition of insanity? You remember that one? Insanity. Doing the same thing. Come on, you know it. Doing the same thing over and over again and expecting what? Different results. Huh? Please. Why would you get something different? Maybe it's time to quit doing the same thing over and over again. Time for a new thing. Surely all of our hearts acknowledge that there must be more that God has promised than we have experienced so far. Right? I will do a new thing, I will pour water on those who are thirsty and my spirit on your descendants. So what would such a new thing look like? Back in July, I sat down, my little laptop. I said, okay, I'm going to try to imagine. What would it be like? What would a new thing around here look like if, if that Isaiah double uh, promise were to come true? Well, it's really a no-brainer. I mean, it's not rocket science. You think about it. You think about what Jesus said. Um, about the Holy Spirit when He comes. This is over in John 15. I'll put it on the screen for you. Uh, John 15, what is this? Uh, verse 26 from the message. When the friend, I like that, when the friend I plan to send you from the Father comes, the Spirit of truth issuing from the Father, He will confirm everything about me. He will talk about me. He will testify of me. When He comes, He will talk about me. And then the other verse is, we, we, we just read this a moment ago in John 12, the other verse is Jesus saying, and I, this is verse 32, and I, as I am lifted up from the earth, will attract everyone to me and gather them around me. So if God does a new thing and the Spirit's poured out, guess who gets lifted up? It's Jesus. He says, I'll be lifted up because that's all the Spirit's going to talk about. He's going to talk about me. And I, when I'm lifted up, I'll draw. So it's, it's not rocket science. I guess what would happen. So I started writing it down. Jesus' gift of conversion and reconversion sweeps through the campus. And as he's lifted up, a conviction of sin accompanied by confession and repentance and a public embrace of the Savior begin to spread. Why not? Walls that have grown up between us, professionally, racially, personally, are beginning to crumble, are crumbled by the Holy Spirit's new thing. Suddenly, people without timidity and fear, begin talking and testifying to what they're experiencing in Christ. Testimonies break out in the dorms, in the classes, in the chapels, in the worships. Spontaneous prayer breaks out. People huddle together from the administration building to plant services. People in prayer. Why not? By the way, And this, this is probably the only place I can insert this. Uh, they've planned a prayer walk for this evening. 7 o'clock this evening. I'll put it on the screen. Let me just mention both of these at the same time. They have a prayer walk planned for this evening. Golf carts for those who don't want to walk it, but 
some of the uh, student chaplains working with the chaplain Jose are going to be guiding us around. I can't think of a better way to end the Sabbath. You got kids? I know you do. I can hear them. Bring, bring the kids. Bring them with you. Why not? Great way to end the Sabbath. So that's tonight, 7 o'clock, right out here by the Garden of Grace. And by the way, you say, well, I'm not into that kind of praying. I don't like uh, group praying. Okay. Uh, Thursday, why don't we have a day of special prayer? If you want to fast, you can. If you don't want to fast, you don't have to. But a day of special prayer. By the way, fasting, fasting can be uh, no cyberspace. I'm just going to hang, hang loose from cyberspace. We're going to be, I'm not going to, no, no TV or whatever. You can fast from food. People do that. Or you can do, do a, a fruit juice fast. It, it, it's, the, the method of the fast is nothing. And, it, and by the way, fasting doesn't get God's attention at all. It's just how you say, God, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of focusing in on this. So we're saying Thursday. What if we did it Thursday? Yeah. And by the way, don't forget what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. Don't tell anybody. Don't you ever tell anybody you're fasting because if you tell people, it's over. You lost every benefit you could have had. Just that wow is all you'll get. So, but you know, when God does a new thing and the Spirit is lifting up Christ, it's got to be the prayers, prayers sweeping across the campus. I wrote it down here, large numbers of students and faculty joining together in these impromptu but multiplying experiences. The Bible becomes the most downloaded book and quoted book on campus. Always happens. People back to the Word. The administration responds in support. The church is open for informal gatherings. Did a little prayer walk last night. We're just walking around the church. The church is open for informal gatherings, small and large, of worshipers, prayers, penitents, early in the morning, late at night, new life, one place, pioneer, join forces in their Sabbath focus on what's happening, adapting their worship services to accommodate this movement. Racial divisions become the concern in the public talk of the students and a move to tear down any racial walls that exist on our campus spreads from the students to the faculty and administration. And then there's this new burden for reaching the lost with the good news of Christ. It possesses many hearts. Students start organizing witnessing bands, going to secular campuses near and far to share Jesus. A new movement of student missions takes root and begins to spread across campus. Hundreds of students volunteer as short-term missionaries, just like that. Why? Jesus said, I'll, I'll draw when I'm lifted up. Emails circulate to friends and family in 100-plus nations, sharing the testimony of God's new thing here on this campus. And the final one, the legacy leadership. I took this picture last night of uh, Jane Andrews, John Evans Andrews, our namesake. The, the, the legacy of leadership, it's, ch- it's chiseled in the bronze at the base of that statue. The legacy of leadership phrase that the, J- that the Andrews statue in front of this church and on the mall is now ignited with new meaning, capturing God's desire to take from here strategic spiritual leadership both to the world church and the world. Wow, could it happen here? I mean, come on, could it? I want to end with an email. Jose shared this with me. This is from one of uh, his team. He's a young man. Jose, I downloaded the message that you said we should watch. And I, I could only make it 10 minutes through before I broke down. The longing, the burden, the desire for something new on Andrew's campus was simply overwhelming. My heart goes out to you because I know that you feel this way every day. 
Jose, I don't know where I'm going to be this semester. There was some question about finances, but he's, he's coming back. I don't know where I'm going to be this semester, but my heart is crying for Andrews. I want so badly to be there. I want to do a new thing for Jesus. To go and not only revive those in the church, but literally to go and touch the hearts of those who aren't coming to church. I know, I know without me, you guys are going to do something amazing on that campus through the power of Jesus Christ pouring out His Spirit. I want so badly to return and work with you. I, I'm honestly looking forward more to the spiritual revival than coming back to school. Jose, Andrews needs us to do a new thing, and I am sure you're already doing I'm sure you are already doing it, and I would fervently be praying for us students, for all of campus, for the spiritual revival we need, we want, and we are dying for. I want so badly to be there with you, but whether I'm there or not, I will be praying for you. And that's something. I tell you what, you get twelve young men and young women of who have that same heart, you can turn this campus upside down. I will do a new thing. How about it, faculty and staff? There's one student. Can you give me one reason why God could not do a new thing here? What do you say? Like that persistent widow What do you say we step into the circle and say, God, we're not leaving this circle. We're not leaving this circle until you send rain. Until you send rain.